comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Welcome to the Long Box of Doom, episode 250, our intro to... Fantastic February! That's right, in February, the Long Box of Doom is going to be uh, focusing on the fearless foibles of the Fantastic Four and the Future Foundation, both phonetically and formally. And the First Family. And the First Family as well. Uh, So that is going to include lots of cool things, including... An episode of Real Heroes focusing on the Roger Corman version of Fantastic Four, which, if you haven't seen it, is available free on YouTube as well. It should be, because that's about what it's worth, uh, you know, paying to see. In stunning 240p. <laughs> In stunning 240p, direct from VHS transfer, <laughs> with the tra- with the little tracking thing popping in the bottom every so often. The only Corman film to never be officially released, from what I understand. Hmm, that's saying something. Yes. Comparing, I mean, I mean, considering he made movies like Teenage Caveman and The Trip and God knows how many other exploitation movies over the years, and yet that one never got released. Well, that was more of a contractual thing. It, it was it was designed never to be released, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot on Real Heroes. We're also right. going to be looking at Jonathan Hickman's epic uh, Fantastic Four slash FF run, and we're going to do that not as in-depth as we might normally do, like on a Watchmen show or something, but just more of a general, broad strokes look at his uh, his awesome run on those titles. And tonight, we thought we'd do kind of an intro to the Fantastic Four, how Jim and I first became acquainted with the first family of Marvel Comics, a little bit about the, the, the other two movies that were made with them that also aren't very good, maybe look at The Incredibles a little bit and stuff like that, and just generally our thoughts on them as a whole before we get into a full-fledged episode about the Jonathan Hickman run. Yeah, the uh, the first Fantastic Four I ever remember reading as a very small child, a small geek. Uh, I, I've told this story before. When I was a kid, I always figured out, you know, why, you know, I only got one comic book every time we went to the drugstore, so why waste it on one hero when I could always get a team and one of my favorite teams is always the Fantastic Four. In fact, one of my favorite characters of all time is Ben Grimm. I'm looking at my 12-inch statue of him on the shelf above my desk right now as I speak. Uh, he's always been one of my favorite Marvel characters just because of, you know, what, you know, the, the metaphor of the, the, the noble brute, you know, the, the guy that looks like a monster but is actually has the heart of gold inside, you know, that kind of thing. He just and when, he's a, when he's written well, he's, he's a really interesting character. Um, but my first... Uh, the first run I remember reading was the George Perez inked by Joe Sinnott run, like right around 200, like right before and after Fantastic Four 200. So that was probably the late 70s. It was just like, it was my first introduction to the art of George Perez too, oddly enough. It was one of his earlier assignments at Marvel. 
So uh, it was it was like a double whammy for me because that's one of, he's one of my favorite artists and always has been. So um, I've always been a fan of the group in its many permutations. I'm a big fan, of course, of the original um, you know Stan and Jack run just because it was such a foundation for the Marvel universe. I mean, when you think of everything that spun out of the the first 100 issues of Fantastic Four that end up being used. In the Marvel Universe, you know, in, in, you know, the Watcher, the Inhumans, the Celestials, the Eternals, you know, the, the Atlantis, you know, all the different things that were first introduced in Fantastic Four, you know, it, it was really the foundation of the Marvel Universe, as well as being the first, you know, Marvel comic, you know, from the, the Marvel Age of Comics. I've almost always been uh, really interested in the, like, permutations in different, like, um, like analogs of the Fantastic Four that have been done. Like I remember Alan Moore did an analog of the Fantastic Four called Mystery Incorporated uh, for the 1963 miniseries for Image. Or uh, in Planetary, for instance, the, the main villains are an evil version of the Fantastic Four uh, with analogs that their abilities more realistically displayed. Or the Impossibles from uh, uh, the Venture Brothers, Dr. Impossible. One of the most uh, horrifying versions of the team, at least in Yeah, well, exactly. Well, he, you know, Stephen Colbert's Dr. Impossible, later played by Bill Hader, you know, is pretty much totally Reed Richards. But his, his um, wife in you know Marvel Comics, the um, Invisible Woman, in this version only her skin becomes <laughs> invisible and only when she's under you know, stress or, or, um, or um, I don't want to say aroused, but excited. Um, then you have the their version of the Human Torch, who is always on fire and in constant pain when he's burning <laughs> and running around screaming. And then their version of Ben Grimm, the Thing, is pretty much a giant callus with the, you know, the understanding of like an eight-year-old. Um, a little bit more uh, of the Hulk in there. At least the, yeah, the dumber versions yeah. of the Hulk. More childlike, though. Exactly. Definitely yes. more childlike than the Hulk. Hulk's always been fueled by rage. But, I mean, there's so many... Um, cool like riffs on the fantastic four it's just such an archetype you know you got the oh and elementals by bill willingham and mark buckingham back in the 80s kind of a lesser known indie comic but kind of played with those same you know air fire earth and water aspects that the the fantastic four had uh in their interactions so i mean it's been i mean they're so iconic the fantastic four and and yet you know like you were saying jordan the the movies that we've got of them have not been uh what is the word i'm looking for Good. Uh, good? Yeah. <laughs> I think good is the word I was looking for. Exactly. Viewable? I don't know. I guess they are technically viewable. You can see them. Uh, I wouldn't suggest it. But yeah. Um, see, now you've always, like you said, you've always been a big Fantastic Four fan since you were a kid and stuff. I was kind of the opposite. I, I literally have no concept of where I first heard of the Fantastic Four. It's just one of those culturally ubiquitous things that... You're familiar with the Fantastic Four. You're familiar with the Godfather. Even if you've never seen them, you know what they are, at least in theory. But I always thought, uh, at least back as far as I can remember, I always thought they were kind of lame. I never knew that much about them. I, I probably knew parodies of them before I knew them, or the, the Fantastic Four movies, which I saw the first one in theaters, and I didn't hate it, but I didn't think it was very good. I, I would probably became familiar with Doctor Doom long before I was familiar with them, because... You know, one of the first comics I started reading when I was around uh, 14, 15 and started getting into them was uh, Spider-Man. And there was some issues there towards um, towards the beginning after that uh, that first renumbering, the the uh, 
late 90s, early 2000s, renumbering Volume 2 of The Amazing Spider-Man, there were some issues where Doctor Doom was involved. And so I always thought Doctor Doom was kind of cool. I read Secret Wars with, uh, you know, Doctor Doom is one of the main villains, and there's some cool stuff with him there. So I always thought he was kind of neat, and I always thought the Fantastic Four was kind of dumb. And that didn't really change until I read Hickman's version. I had no interest in the team whatsoever until I kept hearing oh, this Jonathan, Jonathan Hickman version is kind of cool, and I had no idea who he was. And then I read Secret Warriors first, I think, and then after Secret Warriors, S.H.I.E.L.D., and then after I read both of them, you know, or was reading both of them, I, I kind of got in Fantastic Four and, of course, fell in love with it. But that's enough about the, the Hickman version. You know, I've gone back and read every... I guess I started with the Miller run, and then there was the Dwayne McDuffie run, or maybe I have those reversed. It's weird. There were some really good writers, like I think of Miller when I think of this, who can't really get a good handle on the Fantastic Four. You it's know it's I mean? tough to get it to a place where it's both interesting and not just boring. Like, I mean, you can be interesting and boring at the same time in a weird way, where the, the plots are interesting, but the characters are boring, I guess. And that's kind of how I found his run. It was a cool plot idea, you know, with Earth 2 or whatever it was called, and you know, the, the giant robot was really neat. But character-wise, I, I didn't glom onto his stories as well, whereas the Dwayne McDuffie run, I kind of like the characters more, but I thought the plots were kind of boring. Well, my favorite, probably one of my favorite runs is the John Byrne run, uh, when he wrote and uh, drew the, uh, the Fantastic Four, and I've got the, I just got the Omnibus of Heroes Con this year, uh, the first Omnibus, I don't think they've released the second Omnibus yet, but I mean, I, mean, I think it was like a 40-issue run, they did a Fantastic Four, uh, writing and drawing. Wow. And it's just, re- I mean, it's not only, you know, you think about nowadays when, you know, some of the, the top player uh, artists can't get a book out, you know, in what, two or three months, you know, he was writing, writing, plotting and drawing Fantastic Four every month for years. And you could tell he loved it because he had such a good voice for the characters. He made you care about the characters much the way Hickman does. He has a good handle on the voice of, of Reed. I mean, Reed Richards is a character, I kind of liken him to Cyclops in the X-Men when he's... He's, he can be written written well, but it's rare that it happens. You know what I mean? Like right, I thought, right. Joss, Joss Whedon did a really good job in the Astonishing X Men of writing Cyclops, you know, for instance. But I thought Hickman had a really good handle on Reed Richards, as did um, John John Byrne. I mean, it's very easy to, you know, just write him off as a scientific d- who doesn't care about anybody. You know what I mean? But you know, as we'll find out when we go into the Hickman run, and as you look at the John Byrne run, there's so much more to his character than that. You know, um, the intensity of, and the you know his his paternal side, you know his his fatherly side, really comes into play in the Hickman run in a major way, and was also a major um, part of his you know um, depiction in the Byrne run. Plus, I mean, I really like the way that in both keep drawing parallels here, but in the Byrne and Hickman run, they both write Sue as a very independent, strong woman. Oh, Sue's a badass in the the Hickman version, you know. Exactly. And she should be. I mean, how else would, you know, this kind of super, what other kind of woman would this super genius guy even deign to talk to, let alone marry and, you know, have family with other than somebody who's, you know, maybe not as smart as him, but at least as for, you know, as, as much intestinal fortitude and, and strength, you know, anyone who can put up with Reed all day, it deserves more accolades than I can possibly give. <laughs> and Hickman, Hickman really pulled the hat. I mean, we'll talk about this obviously when we go more in depth, but he did the really cool thing of making Johnny storm, a really likable character and mature him a bit, which didn't last uh, moving right. into the fraction run, but yeah, well, 
the, the irony of the Fraction run. I mean, Fraction, I don't know, he, he kind of had a, he had a tough, tough uh, act to follow, you know? Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I just read the final issues of the Fraction, Fantastic Four, and FF, uh, either yesterday or the day before, actually. I finally got around to reading them. And I gotta say... I liked his FF a lot. I did not expect to, because I didn't think it was going to focus on the kids at all, and that's what I really loved about Hickman's FF. Um, but it did, so thankfully. And I thought, I just had so much fun with Fraction's FF. His Fantastic Four started fairly interestingly and ended actually pretty well as well. It was just everything in the middle was boring, and I did not care at all. Which was sad, because I, I like half of Fraction's stuff, and the other half is that middle of Fantastic Four, which is just boring, and I don't care. Yeah, it's like in that same zone that Jeff Loeb is in. Like, you know, hey, Jeff Loeb wrote Long Halloween, but Jeff Loeb also wrote a bunch of crap. He wrote, <laughs> you know, Ultimatum for the Ultimate Universe. You know what I mean? Right. Fraction's got Hawkeye, but yet his Fantastic Four is just not. Right, right. Didn't grab me at all. And I'm a fan of the comic. I'm a, I mean, you're coming from the opposite end that I am of the, of the fanboy spectrum. You know, I'm a fan of the group, fan of the comic. I was coming off the high point of Hickman's run. Like, wow, what an incredible ending that tied everything together he'd done in the past three years, you know, thematically. And then Fraction comes, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I agree on FF. I really liked what him and Allred did on FF. I'm a, I'm a big Allred fan anyway, going back to Madman. So, uh, you know, just seeing it, what they did with those characters was really fun. I remember the first time I saw Hall Red's art was uh, his X-Force. Or did he start at the end of X-Force or just the beginning of X-Statics? I can't remember. I think it might have been the end of X-Force, though. I think that's correct. But when I was first getting into comics again, some of the first books I read other than Spider-Man were Cable and X-Force. And I'm still a fan of Cable and X-Force to this day. And I remember when I got to... Uh, this is kind of a sidestep, but when I was finding these issues, it was all down at the Ocean City, New Jersey boardwalk. There's a couple shops down there that had comics at the time, and I was, you know, sifting through the couple long boxes they had, and they had a lot of, you know, in retrospect, terrible 90s comics, but this is where I found a lot of that Cable and X-Force stuff. But I also found a few issues of X-Statics and those last couple issues of X-Force. And I was, and as a kid, which is what I was, you know, it was just, I didn't get it. It was like, what is this weird art? Who none of, I don't know any of these characters. Cable's not in here. What's going on? And I never checked it out. But yeah, today, I love the All Reds work on Fantastic Four. I loved all the All Reds work on FF and the little bit they did in Fantastic Four as well. And I'm excited for Silver Surfer now, too. That was just a really cool preview in... in uh, all new Marvel now point one, but that that's a that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish right there. You mentioned earlier, and I thought this was was a good point to make that Reed is best written when he's viewed uh, through the lens of being a father. But I, I want to augment that a little bit and say what I really appreciated, uh, particularly in the Hickman run, which we'll get into that again in another episode, was him viewed through the lens of being a son as well. That whole father, grandfather, son, and and daughter. Matrix that was built between Nathaniel Richards, Reed Richards, and then Franklin and Valeria, Valeria being my favorite FF Fantastic Four character by far, um, that whole Matrix to me was one of the most interesting things. Reed is the way he is, for good or for ill, because of his father, his children will be the way they are, for good or for ill, because of him and Sue, and just that whole multi-generational family dynamic is what I found particularly engrossing. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what kept him from being one of the evil Reed Richardses. Right. From, from the council of Reed Richardses. Is, is, 
is that, you know, he had his father and the rest of them didn't, you know, and the, again, you know, he made such a difference with Franklin, the future Franklin, you know, that he had his father. Um, that the whole theme just carries over. And I agree. That was one of the most touching and, and interesting threads in that, in that storyline. And then you look at, uh, you know, the, the twisted reflection of that kind of fatherhood with the wizard in Bentley, you know, right. A lot of stuff to play with there, and we're going to talk a lot about it on the Hickman uh, FF and Fantastic Four uh, rundown. And I'm pretty excited to actually get on with that. I know we've had a lot of other things come in the come you know in the way. <laughs> so you you said you've seen the the Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, have you seen both of them? I don't actually know if I've seen all of Rise of the Silver Surfer. I've seen most of it for sure. I can't remember though if I've seen all of it. Certainly not in theaters. You know, I, again, I didn't hate at least the first one because that's the only one I can say for sure I've seen all of. You know, I like elements of it. I didn't hate their version of Doctor Doom. He was more campy than I would have liked, but I thought the actor did a fine job, and I I would have been perfectly fine seeing him play a good version of Doctor Doom, like a well-written version, I should say, because Mm -hmm. I think that was more the problem. Uh, The guy who played Reed, whose name I don't remember, I don't think... Uh, Ian Ian Grufford. Right. I I don't think he was terrible either. I think given a well-written part he could have done just fine I I think their version of Sue didn't really work for me, their version of Ben didn't really work for me their version of Johnny I thought was fine I think for most most portrayals of Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four mythos that I've read at least I thought he was pretty spot on quite frankly yeah, I thought Evans nailed it. There were there are parts of that movie I thought were that were just like you said, spot on and really good, and then other parts that just left me cold, like Jessica Alba, Sue Storm. Don't even get me started. And I have no um, problem with her, just not as No, I love her as an character. actress. I just thought she was horribly miscast. You know? I mean, I don't know, I just thought she was horribly miscast in that role. Right. You know? I mean I, I love her in Machete and Sin City and Dark Angel and all the other things. I just thought in that role not not really suited for that. I had a lot of problems with Chickless's makeup, although I thought the stuff with him and Chris Evans as Johnny and Ben, some of that worked. Oh, yeah, I, I will agree. It was mostly the visual look that was just a mm. huge problem. Although but Doom Doom was a mess. To Doom be was fair, what are you going to do shows? for the thing to make him look right on screen? I'm right. sure there's a version. I just don't know that anybody's found it. Probably the closest thing would be uh, the rock monster in Thor Two. But even that, he's on screen for like 15 seconds. I don't know how you pull that off for an entire movie and make it look right. But you never know. I, I think Marvel Studios, at least, would find a way. Who knows what that would be? It might yeah. not be 100% the comic version, but uh, it, it would probably be better than the Fox version. Yeah, but I mean, look at the difference between uh, the way the Hulk looked in the, the Ang Lee Hulk movie and the way the Hulk looks... In Avengers. You know well, I mean? even how different the Hulk looks between the Incredible Hulk and the Avengers is pretty right. stark. But also that has a lot to do with just the passage of time. Uh, the Ang Lee Hulk was, what, 2003 or four, maybe? Mm-hmm. And, you know, CG has come a long way in just those few short years. Yeah, and I think that's about when the Fantastic Four movie came out, too, the first one. But, Sounds yeah. right, yes. But Doom, Doom was a wreck. Um, that actor is fine. I remember him from Nip Tuck on FX. Right, oh, that's but... right, that was him. Yeah, but he he was a wreck. The script was a wreck. Um, the I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting to see what the the dude from Chronicle does, um, Josh Trank, with with the reboot, you know, with the Fantastic Four reboot. Which sounds like it's going to be going a little bit more the Ultimate Fantastic Four route, which I'm fine right. with. You know, that, that's fine with me too. That seemed, I think it would make more sense to do that than to try to recreate the the one that Stan and Jack wrote in the '60s. I just don't know if that would fly. You know. 
but I, I don't know. The movies, I mean, obviously a, a big disappointment to me is a Fantastic Four, both, both of them. I actually prefer the second movie to the first, mainly just because probably of Andre Brower and the Silver Surfer. Uh, even though Galactus is like a giant cloud, much as he was in, or, or you know, um, what's his face was in, uh, Parallax was in, in Green Lantern, uh, the movie. You know, oh, we're being attacked by a giant cloud. You know, the cloud um, thing doesn't bother me so much, honestly. I, I understand why. I mean, I didn't want to see skin. a guy there in a pur- in purple pants or whatever, but it would have been <laughs> nice to see something, you know, other than a cloud. I don't know. It was the Galactus swarm instead of Galactus, which, you know, teach right. their own. But I thought, yeah, I thought the Silver Surfer was fine. Uh, with um, that was Morpheus playing him, right? And Lawrence Fishburne did Lawrence the voice. Fishburne, that's right. Yeah. And uh, Doug Scott, the guy who did Abe Sapien in Hellboy, Doug Jones. Actual... Doug Jones. Doug Jones. I'm sorry. Thank you. The man with the amazing fingers. That guy. I could yeah. just sit there and watch him undulate his fingers for hours. He is fascinating. I'd love to see him and Andy Serkis get into a gesture off. <laughs> that would just be amazing to watch, don't you think? They're having a mind battle down on First and Spruce. <laughs> It'd be like the breakdance battle in... Uh, <laughs> They're breakdance fighting. In, in Zoolander. <laughs> but, I mean, I've always been a fan of the franchise, and it was cool to see um, Hickman like understand what made him work. Uh, like I was saying before, some, there are some really good writers who just can't get a good grasp on the FF. Like like you said, Miller, that was a good idea, but I just didn't didn't think he had a good voice for the characters. And then um, I know Mark Wade and, and Mike Waringa, that was also a good run, but it started out kind of rough. But it got better as it went along, and so they got a little weirder and a little wider uh, with their stories. Um, Mark Wade, though, I mean, has so much knowledge of Marvel, it just you know spills over onto the page when he writes anything. So um, who's who's a writer today in Marvel? I mean, I guess you could branch out farther, but specifically who already works for Marvel, who hasn't written Fantastic Four, so Hickman's off the table, who would you like to see come in and write it? I mean, now we have the Robinson run about to start, um, and quite frankly, I don't really know a lot of his work, at least by name off the top of my head. I do. He wrote um, a lot of stuff at DC, including JSA. He wrote The Golden Age. Um, I mean, he's been in the comics for, for quite a while. But aside from him, let's just, because he hasn't, we haven't seen any of his work yet, who would you like to see at some point in the future in the Marvel offices write for the Fantastic Four? Who do you think could grasp them who hasn't had a chance yet? Well, I, the person I'm going to mention, they would never, ever give him the, the Fantastic Four, I don't think. But I think he would do something really interesting and new with them would be Jason Aaron. Could be interesting. I'd love yeah. to see um, Abnett and Landing do it. I think Abnett Lanning could could get that right mix of oh, humor yeah. and likable characters, but at the same time, just the crazy bombastic science stuff. Um, that we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova and, and all those other Hypernaturals. Yeah. Right, right, of course. Yeah, they definitely would have the cosmic side nailed down. What about uh, another Fantastic Four thing we haven't really mentioned? You mentioned alternate versions of the team in pop culture, but what about alternate versions of the team in the Marvel Universe? You had the most recent one with Fractions FF, but then you had the one with, what was it, She-Hulk, Ghost Rider? Well, actually... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go go ahead. I, I couldn't remember I, uh, all the, the characters. I, I, I couldn't remember them either, but I just remembered off the top of my head that DC had their own version of the Fantastic Four as well. Uh, Hank Henshaw, who ended up becoming the cyborg Superman in uh, Death of, and Rise of the Superman, you know, when they when Superman so famously died there in the 90s. Right. Um, the, he was a Reed Richards type guy who went off with his family into space, and then they all died of horrible radiation poisoning, but he lived. It was like a really weird, twisted version of the FF. So basically you have like a cyborg version of Reed Richards as one of Superman's foes. 
I didn't realize that that was an analog there. And then when uh, Superman and the Fantastic Four teamed up for that one-shot tabloid uh, Dan Jurgens thing that they did, he was the villain. Him and he was trying to uh, become a herald of Galactus, and that's how they crossed the two over. It was, oh, okay. It's it kind of fun. Yeah. But what have you thought about those alternate Marvel versions of the team? I mean, I guess you could throw in even the Ultimate FF there, or the Ultimate Fantastic Four, rather, since the Ultimate FF is technically a different thing. But all the different replacement teams that have come in over the years, Spider-Man on the team when Hickman wrote it, right. uh, or, or just the other replacement or, teams. I mean, Spider-Man number one has Spider-Man auditioning for the FF. The Amazing Batman. Any money, yeah. That may actually be the first time I ever saw a Fantastic Four costume was in the Spider-Man video game that came out before the movies, um, maybe a year before the first movie, where one of the unlockable costumes was the Amazing Batman, and I was like, what is this thing? And looked it up and was like, oh, this is a real thing that happened in comic books. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man number one, he auditioned for the FF. Before fighting was... the chameleon on a spaceship. Right, because he was <laughs> broke. Yep. Uh, he had no funds. <laughs> but um, now no, I've gone off track. I'm well, there sorry. was the She... What was the one that was like She-Hulk? Oh, yeah, She-Hulk was Ghost on the Rider. team for a while. After Secret Wars, um, She-Hulk took over for Ben Grimm. Because Ben Grimm had to go off and do his thing, Rocky Grimm Space Ranger. <laughs> uh, after Spe- Secret Wars, he did all these like sci-fi themed comics written by it was like Ron Ron, uh, Ron Friends uh, and, and Bob Layton. But uh, when when they came back from Secret Wars, uh, she Hulk was a new, was like the strong member of the Fantastic Four, and it was during the John Byrne run that it happened. And he was John Byrne was also doing She Hulk at the time, the comic, not the character. <laughs> um, Yes, I know. We I know how. It. I know where. I know where in the gutter our listeners' minds are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had a he. You know, he had a handle on that as well. But I mean, she was in the team for a while. There was um, a scroll by the name Elijah that was a member of the team for a while when um, when Sue was out on maternity leave during the, the John Byrne run as well. Um, there have been a lot of different like uh, Luke Cage. At one point, was on the Fantastic Four, sitting in for Ben Grimm when he had been depowered. Right, yeah, the time when Black Panther and Storm filled in for Reed and Sue. That was during the right. McDuffie run, I believe? Yes, yes it was. Yeah. And that's the I only, that. if I remember correctly, the uh, the first crossover between the Marvel Zombieverse and the 616. It was an mm. indirect one, I believe. But it was uh, the first one, and then of course you had the uh, the Deadpool crossover as well with the uh, Headpool and stuff. But I, right. I do remember that. That was one. I think that was the first issue of Fantastic Four I ever read. Was the one that crossed over with the uh, with Marvel Zombieverse because I was a big Marvel Zombieverse fan. Well, I started one of the uh, things that got me back into comics after I'd been out for a while was reading the original Ultimates. So I read Ultimate Fantastic Four for a good good while. And then I also read Ultimate Nightmare, which was like uh, Warren Ellis's retelling of the Galactus story right. in the Ultimate Universe with Galactus, the the swarm, like you mentioned uh, earlier. And I thought that was a pretty decent story and a, kind of a cool way to retell the original story rather than having a guy walking around in a purple skirt <laughs> and you know and antlers uh, building a giant machine on a skyscraper. Uh, <laughs> so. I enjoyed that as well. Um, but like I said, the, probably my favorite uh, alternate take on the FF was the four in the planetary. They're just such evil bastards. But they have exactly the powers of, of the Fantastic Four, and they have pretty much the exam, same uh, exact backstory as the Fantastic Four. They're on a, Only they're on like a Black Ops secret 
uh, government, uh, you know, rocket ride or whatever, instead of, you know, a, you know, Reed taking a spin out in his private rocket or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, slightly altered, but I mean, they're all the, they, they even have analogs in the book for like the negative zone. Like they break into, um, Elijah Snow and Takeda Wagner break into, uh, their version of like the Baxter building. I, th- I think they call it four freedoms or something. And inside they find subterranean people, which is obviously not to the mole man. And they find, uh, you know, a giant painting. That's actually a, uh, a portal to the, like what the analog of the negative zone. I mean, it's obvious he's like taking a, you know, a big, a big swipe at, uh, at the fantastic four by making these really vile, evil villains. I mean, the, the guy who's the thing analog is, is just a, a thug of the worst order. And the guy who's the, Human Torch analog is just this, um, he's, he's a masochist. Like, he enjoys getting into fights with other super beings and killing them because he enjoys the pain. Uh, it's just cra- crazy, crazy retelling from the, both, you know, both those stories from the in the mind of Warren Ellis. Crazy guy. <laughs> but, I mean, the, it's been cool how there have been different analogs over the years and different, you know, changes and, and, and mix-ups of, of these, uh, you know, character archetypes because they resonate pretty strongly. I mean, it's, a, if, I mean, I don't know, pretty much any quartet super team anymore is, is uh, you know, measured against the FF, I would imagine. I'm sorry, I forgot another one, too. In Astro City, um, there's the first family, and they're, they're definitely an analog of the Fantastic Four, so. When you mentioned before we started recording, and we brought it up briefly, but uh, The Incredibles from Disney and Pixar. Yeah, I still say that's the best Fantastic Four movie ever made is The Incredibles. I mean, because you have one really strong one, one stretchy one, one who cast, you know, gets invisible and casts force fields. Swap out Dash with the Human Torch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I love The Incredibles. It's one of my... We, we're working on a thing right now at HHWLOD with all of our hosts working on our top 20 movies of all time. And that made my list, actually, after a lot of soul-searching and thinking. Uh, the incredible so i mean i love that film and it, it just it seems like it got the 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 heart and the soul and the the camaraderie and the family dynamic of the fantastic four absolutely right in a way that the other two movies didn't at all i do have a pixar movie on my list no spoilers but it's not that one although i do say i, I do like incredibles quite a bit i don't know if i'd say i love it but i like it quite a bit what i love is uh, the short jack jack attack which is on the dvd and blu-ray and stuff oh yeah that is like my favorite thing ever the babysitter yeah mm. i'm not sure i can't even do the voice or remember the lines but just the, i can't i'm not even sure what's happening right now I like when they're done with the mission and uh, Elastigirl hits her phone. You have 328 <laughs> messages. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. That was definitely a good movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Do we have anything else to say in our little intro here for Fantastic February, Jim? I would recommend the 60s cartoon of the Fantastic Four just because a lot of the art is lifted right from the Kirby stuff. So if that's what you dig, then you know you can deal with the crappy, campy scripts of the '60s and go for it. Um, I would steer clear of the one from the '90s. We used to watch that when we were hungover before Batman the Animated Series uh, back in the early '90s. There was the Marvel Action Hour with a really subpar Iron Man cartoon and an even worse Fantastic Four cartoon. But um, so I would steer clear of those. The actually the um, the anime inspired one, the Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes. It's actually pretty good, and that's on Netflix. Actually, yeah, I gotta check that out. Actually, because I have not it's, seen it's, it. Not, it's a cool take. It's kind of it's closer to the Ultimate Fantastic Four than it is the classic, uh, but I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. So, 
Well, if that's it for this episode, uh, and since it's going to be fantastic February, if anybody fantastic February, <laughs> fantastic. If anybody wants to send us their thoughts that we might be able to address on a future episode uh, involving Fantastic February, whether that be the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie or our Hickman episode or just some other discussion we might throw into a BS show, something like that. You can send us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. That's 972-798-3830. Just let us know that you're calling for the LOD or for Real Heroes or for whichever show you are referring to because it is the network-wide voicemail line. Or just send us an email, LOD at HHWLOD.com. It's easy as that. Don't forget, check out Half Hour Wasted on Mondays. Check out WalkingDeadTV.com for our in-depth coverage of both the TV show and the comic. Check out Out Now with Aaron and Abe, our weekly weekly new release movie show, and uh, Jersey Shore, which I'm on, the Ichapod Cranecast, uh, Jim's brand new show, the Action Lab Podcast, where, where they talk all things Action Lab comics. Episode 2 just came out with the interview with Chad Ciccone, and then Episode 3, I'm going to be talking to rapper and artist extraordinaire Super Ugly. Basically, if there's anything in pop culture or nerdism that you love, we're, we're talking on about it. it somewhere on HHWLOD.com. So just go there, check out the show, subscribe to the Master Feed. You'll get all the stuff right there. You can follow us on Twitter at LODTweet or at HHWLOD underscore network. And there's Facebook groups for many of the shows as well. And until next time, have a fantastic February, everybody. Quick congratulations, too, to our podcasting brother on the Tales from the Attic here on the HHWLOD, Donnie Salvo. On the birth of his son, Donald James Lockery, DJ, they're going to call him. He's cute as a button, and his mom and uh, DJ are doing fine, and uh, they're going home tomorrow as the time of this recording. So congratulations to them and their lack of sleep for the next few years. Have they exposed him to gamma radiation across their fingers yet? No, but I am sending them a bunch of radioactive spiders, so they can do with them, <laughs> do with them what they will. We'll send them a box of uh, the Terrigen Mist, or a balloon of the Terrigen Mist, I guess. It'll you can put them in a giant Christmas ornament like in Superman the movie. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think about how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now. I feel fantastic. And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now